Welcome to the show called Last Ones at the Bar. This is a show where we exclusively talk boxing. This week we got information that we're going to discuss about the event that took place this week between Brooke and Bud Crawford. My name is Wilton Henry. My name is Lavelle Jackson. My name is Daniel Lee. Yes, sir. Before we get off into these topics, fellas, how we how, how was the week? Uh, work week was crazy, but... You know, uh, I had to break in between that. We had Veterans Day, y'all, so I was able to be low-key then. Uh, haven't made a whole lot of noise this weekend, just, you know, and getting some stuff knocked yeah, out. Yeah, this, this week has been me. busy, even with the, you know, Veterans Day holiday, you know, because I had to schedule my doctor's appointments on that day, so I was still running. Uh, so I basically just relaxed this weekend, so I'm ready to get back to work tomorrow. Yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> I'm on that. But yeah, man, that's good that you got those tests and stuff done because I know um, here almost back to phase one, so it's probably best to get that stuff done now before things get even worse, you know. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, let's go ahead and get off into these topics. Obviously, the big thing this week was that kill Brooke versus Bud Crawford. Um, Let me hear about y'all fellas' recaps. What you think? Um. For a fight like this, especially a fight where uh, generally it probably not the best fight that uh, could be made and probably shouldn't have been happening. Um, it's, it's certain things that I do look for in those, these types of fights. Um, and, and pretty much Bud got the best outcome he could out of it. But certain things I look for, I look for, uh, you know, was it how how was he working as far as the skills and jazz and was he sharp and things of those nature, and even how uh, you know Brooke was performing, which uh, Brooke didn't really seem that bad. It didn't seem drained per se. I think his his problem was more so mentally. Um, I mean, he was he was working a jab. You know, he he was doing some things. You know, catching butt and. And he just, just mentally, you just look at his face, he just seemed like he just didn't want to be there. Like, maybe he, you know, fooled himself to be the, that he wanted to be in that ring. But it's like you can tell when a, when a fighter is kind of like, eh, whatever. Because physically, he, he still seemed like he was the goods. You know, I mean, he was in shape. He was muscled up. You know, looked like he was training to be in the WWE. I mean, he was really, really muscled up. Um, for performance wise, it seems drained because normally drained fighters, uh, you know, they take a they take a beating pretty much, and they don't get caught cold like that or caught and hurt like that. So, uh, and I, and, I, and one of the things I is how would Bud react to uh, Brooks shots? Because Brooke, you know, I mean, he's not the hardest puncher at one forty seven, but he can crack. So, you know, he was catching, you know. Terrence Crawford a couple times, and I was seeing if he was going to drop him because I think Terrence Crawford is the type of fighter, if you're going to beat him, you have to really beat him early. And I think uh, if he faces a, a, a three-round, I'm going to come get you puncher, I, he'll have more trouble with, with a type of fighter like that. Um, so it was, it was interesting to see him take punches from Brooke, you know, and, and, and try to adjust, which he, which he did, and, you know, catch Brooke, you know, and hurt him quick. And, you know, blinking, you miss it, hurt him, and pretty much get the stoppage that he was looking for. Um, so, I mean, it's not anything to cry about, but I like Crawford's performance, uh, particularly in that fight. Um, that's all I have to say about it. Yeah, well, in this fight, 
I mean, I, I go over my grows and um, my grows and glows. So I start off with the glows. And so when the fight started off, you know, Crawford was in that right-hand stance. I want to say until, like, the latter part of the second round, when he switched to southpaw stance. And he started to uh, figure him out. He, he tends to do that in his fights. I remember going to see him in Dallas, and he did that against Delorme. Um, he had struggled a little bit, maybe the first two, three rounds, but then he made his adjustments, took him out. I want to say it was the fifth round, very reminiscent of that. Um, once the fourth round hit, that's when he began to pick it up. He stepped on the gas a little bit. He landed that solid jab. Landed the solid, solid jab. Then Brooke lost his faculties, you know, went to the ropes, and then pretty much, you know, the referee stopped the action for a bit, and then Bud finished him off. You know, and as far as Brooke is concerned, he looked pretty solid through the first three rounds. Um, but I just think guys, you know, as they age, and I know Brooke is only two years older than Crawford, but he's been in more wars and he's struggling to make that weight. Um, I think he looks solid because Brooke is good. But at the same time, he still has some deficiencies because of the weight loss that he had. And struggling to get back down to 147. As far as the grows are concerned, I'm surprised. I, I look on um, different YouTube stations and they hyping this up like, oh man, but this, he did this and that. And I'm like, who couldn't see this happening? Like, so when they made the fight, I know when we have talked about it on our 926 podcast, we were saying the same thing. You know, you knew that this was going to happen. Um, because, again, Brooke hasn't been at that weight in nearly four years. Um, he also, like, if you think about it, back in the day, Brooke was having trouble making 147. And I remember a fight in particular that he had against Carson Jones in 2012 where it was a close split decision victory that he had, and he gave Carson Jones a rematch because it was so close the following year. But he actually signed for that fight at 154 because he was struggling to make 147. So if he was having trouble making 147 in 2012, just imagine now at the age of 34. And with the, his physique, he's going to lose some muscle, you know, dropping down in weight. And then also, you know, going into the fight, Brooke was 3-2 and two in his last five fights. And if you think about the fights that he fought against Rapchenko, against... Zerafu or in um, DeLuca. Like, those are not, you know, well-known names. Those are not high-caliber opponents. So, like I said, it, it was, to me, it was to be expected. Also, Brooke was an 8-1 to underdog. So, I don't see how people are just clamoring over this victory like, you know, Bud did something special. And I'm kind of, you know, when I look at this, and that's why, to me, this is like the Migos, um, of hip-hop when it comes to boxing. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is this is the Migos era of boxing, I should say. Because people get hyped up over certain things that you like, really? Like, you impressed with that? You know? And so, to me, for Bud to be considered the pound-for-pound pound number one fighter in the world, he has a very paltry resume at welterweight. Jeff Horn. He beat Benavides. Not David Benavides, the one that had one leg. That's who he beat. He'd also be Amir Senor Pinata Khan. Um, then, you know, he also fought Dream Machine. <laughs> I, we don't know those guys, but people are still, how, how can you continue to, 
masquerade around as the number one pound for pound fighter when you fight in that caliber of opposition. Um, and so, I mean, really, I'm seriously thinking about giving a sincere apology to Gennady Golovkin because I think his opposition is better than uh, Crawford's. I don't know how you can ju- justify this. Last few things that I want to want to say is this: is that, you know, um, if you look at Crawford, Crawford is one of those guys who fought at lightweight, won a championship, moved up to junior welterweight, won a championship. Now he's the welterweight champion. And again, I just mentioned his resume. So think about other guys in the past. And again, this is why it's hard for me to like enjoy the sport. Like he can do this, but don't ever consider him like an all-time great caliber guy with that type of resume. And I'm going to make my point. My point is, so you think about other guys in the past who were lightweight champs who moved up the world's way. So let's say, for instance, Pernell Whitaker. Pernell Whitaker fought immediately. Buddy McGirt was the best world's way at the time. Right after that fought Julio Cesar Chavez. He fought Santos Cordona, who was the number one um, you know, mandatory fighter. Then he fought Buddy McGirt in a rematch. So think, see, see the level of opposition he's fighting on a consistent basis? Think about Roberto Duran. First fight that he fights at Worldsweight, Sugar Ray Leonard. He rematches Sugar Ray Leonard. He fights Wilfred Benitez. This is within a two-year time frame of the time that he moved up to that division. And within a four-year period, he had fought Tommy Hearns. De La Hoya. He moved up. Who was the best world to wait? Pernell Whitaker fought him. Within like a two-year time frame, he had fought two to three-year time frame. He had fought Corte. He fought Trinidad. And then I want to say within a four-year time frame, he had also fought Mosley. Okay. Well, those guys are all-time greats. But what about Shane Mosley? Shane Mosley, probably all-time great as well. His first fight at World to wait, De La Hoya. Was he fight not too long after that? Vernon Forrest. Twice. Then within a four-year time frame, he fought De La Hoya again, and he fought Winky Wright. So, to me, hyping up what Bud is doing, you know, it's it's just – I don't get it. I don't see, like, why people are making a big deal about the guys that he's beating because I think he's supposed to do this. I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Jesse Vargas couldn't have defeated those guys he defeated at World 2 I wouldn't be surprised. Um but yeah, that, that's what I look at. It's kind of like a disappointment because I see so much, so many people who are excited about something that he's supposed to do. Think about every fighter that he has fought at World's Way. He's probably been at least a five, six, seven, one favorite in all of those fights. This is what you're supposed to do. But, and so that's my take on what I saw. Yeah, um, I don't have much more to say that you guys haven't said already. But, um, you know, but went in there and did what we thought he uh, he did it quicker than I thought he would, and he did it off of – the fact that he did it off of that was impressive. And, you know, in the post-fight interview, you know, Brooke, in terms of his preparation, did everything right. You know, he didn't look weight-drained. He had a pretty solid game plan. I actually had him up on the cards uh, going into the fourth. I had it 29-28, uh, which, you know, obviously doesn't mean much because, you know, Bud takes those rounds to, to study, but – for what it's worth, he didn't come in there as a slouch. You know what I mean? And even though he has three losses now, his losses were against respectable opposition. But, you know, Bud did what he had to do, and now it's kind of like, to Will's point, it's kind of like that time of reckoning where it's like, okay, what are you going to do 
to establish your, your legacy at welterweight. You know what I mean? Um, and so for fights like this at the elite level, every, every fight is kind of redefining fight for, for people, you know? So in a sense that whether you win or you lose, it's like, okay, where do I go from here? And so for to transition, uh, for this question is for you guys. What do you think Brooke goes from uh, here? I think Brooke has two options, um, two good options. One is to let it go, just retire. I mean, you got two broken orbitable bones, and it doesn't seem like you your punch resistance is the way it was before. The other option to me would be that con fight, because both of you are very vulnerable at this particular point in your career. And that's still a huge fight, a huge payday. Um, at this point, he can't be the top war to wait because he's he's too weak to me. And that's that's what I see. I think that he'll look good early until somebody touches him. And if somebody has the energy level and they can step it up, then he's not going to be able to compete with them once they do that. Um, I don't think he can compete at 154 because he'll be at a disadvantage against those guys. He had an opportunity to fight at 154 before. He never took it. And so it's surprising to me. Well, I should say it's surprising to me, but it is um, eye-opening that he never fought one of those 154-pound fighters because you would think he'd be better suited to fight 154 based on the fact that he struggles to make 147. But I just think that he's a tweener. He's one of those guys that if they had a 150-pound weight division, then he'd probably be a very, you know, tough out at 150 but they just don't have that weight division yeah um in addition to what you said and kind of the piggyback off of the possible american fight i think he's sort of to whatever extent he can you know he's not a big name but i think you just gotta if you're still gonna fight you might as well just honestly chase paydays at this point and what that probably would look like for him is taking a beating against better opposition because you know, every time he stepped up, he hasn't really proven himself at the elite level outside of the Sean Porter win. And so, but but because he has stepped up, he has sort of a name with, in the sense of, okay, if I'm a fighter at 147 or 154 and I want to showcase myself, I might call up a Kelbrook, even though he's, he's you know, you could argue he's dangerous. Uh, obviously, we didn't see it yesterday, but um, if he if he's gonna fight, I don't think he should really waste a whole lot of time fighting your Mark DeLucas and stuff anymore. Like I think this guy, at this point, he's thirty four. He needs to look towards what's going to get me and my family straight out the boxing. Yeah, or I, just do that now. Uh, like you said, well, options is the same as you guys said. I mean, I, I do have an extra option for him, but you know, either you should you know hang it up, say that's it. Call it a day. Um, maybe you can take a year, a couple years off the heel, and you know, come back as, as the old fighter. Like they're like that's the thing today. Um, second option, the, the Miracle fight. I mean, it's still a, a, a big fight. Um, it's still with sale tickets in in, in Britain. Britain. Um, it's more equally matched now than it was before. Before I always had. Kelbrook winning that fight easily and knocking Amerikan out. But because they're both vulnerable, I mean, it, it, it will make for a very entertaining fight right now. And even the trash talk would still be 
you know, flying and watch. Um, then there's also uh, the rematch with Porter. Of course, Porter, you know, our favorite room in that fight. But it's still for, for Porter. I mean, it would be a good fight for Porter because he. it seems like that's a loss that he can easily avenge, you know. And when when fighters had that loss in their resume, especially when it's their first loss, it's like that it could be marketed as, you know, I'm going to avenge this loss. Um, then, you know, you know, we've seen how muscle Kell Brook is. The dude could put on some more muscle going in WWE as a cruiserweight, you know. <laughs> Have his have his uh finisher the chocolate brownie slam or whatever. <laughs> I mean, uh, hey, at this point, sky's the limit. He should stay away from the top level of, of boxing at this point. One thing I don't want to see is is, is Kelbrook become like that father opponent for someone like uh Virgil Ortiz or or Jerron Ennis to say I need to fight a name. So let's get Kelbrook. Um. So that also goes into uh, where you guys see uh, Bud Crawford going from here. Uh, there's many, you know, we talked about some of the options that he, that he do have, but uh, what do you think he he do he do from this point on? So he's still with top rank, and obviously the the easy answer would be to fight Spence for you know to. I can't think of that word. Uh, spite. So the fight spent to unify those belts. However, um, one, we have to assume Spence is going to win against Danny Garcia. And two, it is not wise to assume that Spence is going to go straight from a Garcia fight to fight Terrence Crawford. I personally think that unless he's going to take some kind of tune-up, which I would heavily advise against for Crawford's camp, I would fight – the chess move would be to fight Pacquiao. What happens is, one, that's another unification. Pacquiao has a belt. And so if you were to have two two of the belts in the division, then if Spence wants to be this undisputed champ, then he has to see you at that point. And on top of that, you know, Spence has said, uh, you take care of your side of the street, I take care of mine. Pacquiao was on the PBC side of the street. So what you do is, assuming you win that, you put you put yourself on the PBC side of the street and you have a, another belt to say, hey, you got to take these from me, bro. I'm here. So I, I would like to see it. You know, we're, we're being critics of him right now as of November 2020. But if he were to, hypothetically, if he were to fight Pacquiao and Spence in 2021, or at least have it set up by this time next year to have already beaten Pacquiao and maybe have a, a Spence fight early 2022, then uh, now at this point you could say he's close at least to having some legacy fights under his belt at welterweight. That's what uh, I would aim for if I, was, Crawford's camp. if I was Crawford's I think, camp. Uh, the, the end goal for this is, is, is obviously it's the Spence fight. That's the fight that we all want to see. Um, of course... You know, Spence is saying, you know, Terrence Crawford's on the other side of the street. Uh, but Sean Porter doesn't think that way. Sean Porter would fight, you know, Terrence Crawford, I believe. Uh, I don't think, you know, I don't think Pacquiao necessarily would be keen to fighting Crawford because he, he wouldn't fight Crawford when he was with top rank. But at the same time, 
don't think I don't think Pacquiao care too much about uh, who's on what side of the street. Uh, then you have because then you have you know Kel Brook. What side was Kel Brook on? I mean, was he in the middle of the street? Was he on the corner? Where, where was Kel Brook at? So I mean, I think what Terrence Crawford should do is is fight a Porter, fight a a uh, a Keith Thurman, fight someone. I would I would even fight a, a Ugas. A Ugas would be a interesting fight because Ugas is pretty dangerous. We saw his fight against Sean Porter. He's not the knockout puncher, but he's the guy that can possibly beat anyone. Um, I think he just needs that win to, to, to get on the board, you know, so so people can have that comparison. Um, obviously, his his, his his contract with top rank is coming up. It's going to expire soon. Um, so he could make that move to PBC. But at the same time, it's not guaranteed that those – that those guys are just going to fight him just because he's with PBC. We see with Gary Russell. Gary Russell was begging Santa Cruz for a fight, you know, never got in Santa Cruz. Instead, fought Gerontae Davis, who also, Gary Russell, again, begging Gerontae Davis for a fight, and no one wants to fight Gary Russell, and except guys like um, even Lomachenko was able to fight, you know, Russell. But, you know, it's neither here nor there. We need to see Terrence Crawford makes those decisions that he needs to make so he can get those fights that he needs to get. Because at this point, he's what, what 33? I mean, time, is, you know, is definitely not on his side because he's probably, he's older. He's, I think he's a little older than his other counterparts. So it'll be smart for him to take those fights. Take Even, even if he gets the loser of Danny Garcia Spence, if they don't lose too bad, um, get that, you know, maybe Spence loses. You know, maybe that fight's easier to make, but he needs to get those fights to get on the board. Well, look at it like this. Um, if I was him, I would keep doing the same thing because obviously people are not making a big deal about his competition. Like I said, the dude just fought his last couple fights. He fought Horn. He fought Benavides. He fought uh, Senor Pinata. He saw, fought Brooks. So if, if people are saying you're the number one pound for pound fighter, and wow, you see how he finished him earlier than he finished this other guy, and the guy that he's fighting is not the same guy as those guys fought. If you can continue this, they call it the Barnum and Bailey's effect, where if people are willing to go ahead and go for it, then keep selling it to them. So if I was him, I'd keep doing it. Because obviously it's not affecting him, and you could continue to do this probably until you're like 45 years old. So keep doing it. But in terms of the way it should go, he should be fighting somebody, like somebody who actually is not a 7-to-1 underdog. You know, it's somebody who's not a 10-to-1 underdog, somebody who has two legs. But like you need to fight those type of guys, somebody who's not draining themselves to come down and fight you. So the only options to me that would, you know, as a boxing fan, as a boxing purist, Thurman, Ugas, Porter, Garcia, Spence, Ennis. And then even if he fought Pacquiao at this particular time, Pacquiao probably be 43 years old by the time you fight him. I, I mean, he can have that fight and people are going to, you know, be hyped up over that. He'll, he'll beat Pacquiao. Definitely. But to me, those other six guys who be face because come on man I, I gotta see you fight somebody as opposed y'all are all the same way stop telling me I look better against this guy than you did no fight that guy and let's see who's better and so that's how I look at it I hate to get all you know riled up but the next question that we have here is um Crawford's comments he said that he doesn't need Spence to you know for his legacy what do you guys think about that um, as far as whether or not Crawford needs Spence, again, personally for me, I can't, I don't understand that type of talk with, based on his resume. So 
to just directly answer the question, yes, he does. Straight to the point. <laughs> That's it. That's what you got. <laughs> I mean, <I'm> fed up. <laughs> yeah, it was the wrong. I thing feel to you. Say. It was, it was definitely you. the wrong thing for him to say. I feel you. you know, and, um, oh. it's like even if you don't. This is not the time to say it, man. You gotta get you gotta get some you gotta earn some more stripes before you say that. Um out of your two answers, I would air a little bit more close to Vels in the sense that he can make great fights without Spence, but at, as it stands right now, if you you know, to Will's point, you you kinda gotta see the best. And if you if you indeed want to solidify a legacy. Spence has shown us how to be the best at 147. And so, unless he wants to start campaigning at 154 and see some of those top guys at 154, I don't think he wants to do that right now. So, if you're going to say at welterweight, you got to at least start seeing somebody on that PBC side of the street to start earning some stripes. But I think we've exhausted those topics for today, fellas. There was another fight on the main undercard. Uh, Joshua Franco fought Andrew Maloney. This was a rematch. Uh, previously, Maloney's unbeaten record was taken as well as the title. He was trying to get that back. And the ref stopped the fight in the third round due to an accidental hit. But, um, however, there was some controversy there. You guys want to speak on yeah, that? Yeah. Um, yeah, let me say this real quick because, you know, I know we exhausted the topic about Brooke and, and Crawford, but. If if Brooke does decide to let him go, man, I'm gonna miss him because Brooke is a charming guy. He was all over the place interviewing around, and you know he just has a really good personality. You know, even after the loss, he's a stand up guy, and I'm gonna miss him Definitely. just the way he talked. You know, <laughs> I, I'm gonna drop a chocolate brownie on him. You know, <laughs> you know he's just he's a cool guy, man. But um, <laughs> as far as the Franco Maloney fight, I don't think it was as as egregious as um, people say. Because when I reviewed the fight, um, I think it went into the second or third round when they eventually stopped it. But that first round, there was there was some headbutts in that first round. It was like the first two minutes of the fight. And specifically around a one, it was like a, a minute and eight seconds left in the fight or in the first round. And there was a clash of heads. And I know the ref, I looked at and I saw the referee. He looked at, I want to say it was Franco. And then he didn't say anything at the time. But then maybe a couple seconds later, he went to the side and he was like, accidental headbutt. And then if you look at Franco's eye, it was a little bit puffy. But the thing was, like a few seconds after that, that's when Maloney just started, you know, putting some serious leather on him, too. So he, he didn't help out the situation. He was just making it worse. And then he had that. It was just like a, a accumulation of things. You had a, like a little headbutt that took place. And then he caught him with another shot like directly in the eye and it was like with the glove too. So to me, it was, like I said, it wasn't as egregious as um, some people um, thought it, that it was. And, you know, hopefully they'll get a rematch. If it's, if it's not, maybe I, I didn't see it the correct way. And if it wasn't from a head, but then hopefully they can correct it and give Maloney the victory because he was tagging him afterwards. Like for the rest of the fight, he was really putting it on, um, Franco, but I thought I saw a clash of heads, and I, I know the referee directly looked at Franco 
And then, like I said, eventually he went over to the side and said that it was a clash of heads. You know, um, I, I think you had a point there. I guess the thing that kind of like pissed me off about it was the way that the officiating and the TV crew handled it because, you know, they're taking like 30 minutes to, to come to this decision. They have instant replay in there. And all they're showing are clips from the first round to where no headbutt is proven. And so, like, you know, he's, you see him tag him. And you don't see a clear headbutt there. So, like, the, the, the clips that you're referencing and, like, you know, what you saw in the first round, the crew shoot, the, the crew didn't show any of that. They showed the same, what I saw, the same punch and the same, like, kind of close interaction, but wasn't quite a headbutt for, like, 30 minutes. And then go to commercial and come back and show it again. Like, I was looking at my phone. I kept looking back up, like, oh, they started fighting again? Because I was like, why are they, why are they still showing this? But, um, yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it sucks because I could imagine, you know, Maloney's from Australia, so you, know, you leave your family, you go to camp, you train, and all that to, you know, literally like one punch or one head, but away from getting the stoppage when to get your belt back versus a no a no decision. And, you know, for it to be left up that way, it kind of leaves a bitter taste in the mouth of, of him, in his mouth for sure, but definitely in the fans of, in the mouths of boxing fans everywhere. So, um, you know, I wish you could have yeah, played out better, but, a, you know, that's the, you know, it just kind of is what it is. The it's name boxing. of the game. I mean, you, sometimes it, it plays out that way, but the, the great part about it though, is that they did, it, boxing has involved in, in including, you know, instant replay. Of course we saw that, you know, the drawbacks of that, but, but at the same time, it's almost like boxing was so primitive that I think there's so many fights that we've seen that, you know, could that things could have been wrongs could have been written rewritten because of you know instant replay, like the first one I, I think of it wasn't too big but I think of the uh, the Marco Antonio Barrera um, Juan Manuel Marquez fight where you know Barrera you know scored a knockdown that was called called a slip and I and I thought that instant replay would have helped that fight out because from that that point on you know. Um, it changed the, the mood of that fight and Rara ultimately lost that fight, which I thought was still a very, very close fight. Now when people look back on it, it's not looked at that way. It's looked at it like, uh, oh, Wama Marquez beat Marco Antonio Barrera. But it was it wasn't that type of fight if you watch it. So there's some merits to, to instant replay and, and I saw some of it tonight. We saw a glimmer of it. I felt really bad for Mahoney. You know, it's a bad week to be a Mahoney first. You know, one brother gets, you know, pretty much clipped by the monster and Noe, and then the other, you know, um, tries to regain his title and loses that way. Uh, and I feel bad for him because, you know, he Franco did beat him that that in that first fight. I mean, it, he stunned him, which I, why I was never really high on either of the brothers because I felt they were, you know, kind of overhyped. Uh, but uh, Franco, uh, you know, pretty much beat him that that took his title or beat him that that first fight and you know uh Mahoney came back went back to the drawing board and he came out better he came out improved from the last fight I mean it, of course it was a, a rough and tough tough fight that first round and, but I don't think the headbutt was was hard enough to to you know open his eye up like that I mean to, uh, you know blow it up like that so I I think it was 
it was accumulation. It was a little bit of a headbutt, but it was also those punches that Mahoney was laying on Franco, and he was looking very, very sharp. Um, and, he, and it looked like eventually, if he, once he got to the fifth or sixth round, he was going to get that stoppage. So it, 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 it was it looked like it was going to shape up to be a more impressive, you know, fight from the first fight. It looked like Mahoney did improve. But, I mean, it's the state of the game. I mean, Mahoney, like, he was about to cry. Hey, you know, it happens. You win some, you lose some. That's why rematches take place. I mean, neither of them are, like, these big, huge fighters, so it really doesn't matter much in the larger scheme of things. They can just rematch it and get it over with, you know. So, hey, that's the name of the game. Uh, but switching gears, it was another fight that was, you know, on also. Um, it was uh, – Vidal versus Ortiz. Uh, Amakar, Vidal versus, uh, let me see, uh, the Hunter Ortiz, Edward the Hunter Ortiz. Um, that fight ended in the second round. It was a second round uh, stoppage. Um, I, it wasn't much that, you know, took place uh, looking at this fight. Vidal went in for the kill and, and stopped Ortiz. But Ortiz was actually uh, undefeated, I believe. Uh, so it was a good win. But there was a, a another fight that I saw on the, uh, the 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 PBC broadcast. It was an interesting fight between Henry Arredondo and Eros Correa. Um, the victory was Henry Arredondo. He he got the victory at first, but it was interesting because they took a commercial break, and as soon as they came back, they switched the uh, the victory from Arredondo to Correa. Uh, I'm not sure if I've ever seen that before. I, I remember seeing uh, Stevie Johnson against uh, Jose Luis Castillo, where uh, uh, Johnson's win got changed to a, a draw, but they didn't necessarily do it on the telecast. I don't remember that part. And Johnson went back and gave Castillo back his belt. Um, but this fight was interesting. Because, I mean, one guy won because these scorecards, they, weren't, they were not like – um, close scorecards. They were pretty wide. And the one who, the judge who got it incorrectly, who scored it incorrectly, he basically chose the wrong corner, which had the wrong name on it. So it leads me to believe, like, how many other times has this been happening? Like, how many other judges been doing this? And and it never been caught. And not saying that they purposely do this. Maybe some do. But how many times has this probably been done where it was just an accident <laughs> and it's, it's happened plenty of times in fights like this, where it's not like pick fights where that's under scrutiny, where someone's going to get in trouble if they find out, you know? So it, it definitely rolled some, you know, some flags in my, my eyes. Uh, what are you guys thoughts on that? If you have any. I don't have any. I, I think I went over to crafty crab to get me a um, fish basket at that time. So I missed that fight. <laughs> I'm allergic to seafood, but I don't have any thoughts either. Uh, I, I miss it, unfortunately. Um, but I uh, know, no, no, no man, you, you pretty much Madonna, nailed it. Right? Did you have anything Madonna before you move forward, right? Bill? So we we could end up having a sort of blast from the past fight, fellas, uh, with uh, it, with Oscar De La Hoya confirming that uh, he's indeed returning to boxing. Uh, he's been posting videos of himself hitting pads and, and hitting the heavy bag. Uh, he said verbally, the rumors are true. He starts sparring in a few weeks. Um, rumors have it that the fight will be somewhere between the 154, 160 pound range. And it's rumored that he will be fighting Marcos Maidana, who hasn't fought since the second Floyd Mayweather fight. 
He's also beginning in shape, getting his weight down and training. Uh, last time I saw a photo of him, he looked pretty good. He didn't look like what weight Maidana, but he didn't look like like a uh, bridge weight Maidana either. Feel me? So, but uh, do you guys have any thoughts about a uh, possible De La Hoya yeah, Maidana do. fight? I think that uh, Oscar is seeing boxing the way I'm seeing it. You know, dealing with uh, Canelo and Canelo's reluctancy on you know fighting certain fighters and just how boxing is in general. You got a whole bunch of guys in the same weight class and they not actually fighting each other. I think Oscar really wants to come back and take on challenges. Like he's never been a person who is looking to face somebody just because he's, you know, I, I want this name, but it's going to be the easiest way for me to earn money. But at the same time, I'm taking on weak opposition. He's never took that approach. Oscar's always took the approach that he's going to fight the best fighters. And just so happened that he is was the golden boy. So that's going to, you know, it's going to be a lot of money involved regardless of who he chose and you know, who he chose. He, uh, he could have easily took that approach because he was going to fill up the arenas. Pay-per-view was going to be at an all-time high when Oscar fought. But he's one of those guys, one of the last guys that came from that cloth of fighting the best. And I think that that's partly the reason why he's thinking about coming back. As far as the fight is concerned, Madonna, you know, he's 37 years old. He retired, like you said, in 2014. Bloomed up and weighed a lot. Oscar De La Hoya is 47 years old. He retired 12 years ago after he took that loss against Manny Pacquiao, that KO loss. Um, you know, at this stage of in his career, you, you just don't know what you would get from a person who's 47 years old. And um, But, you know, when Oscar was fighting, he had that serious left hook. And he was a much better fighter than Marcos Madonna. So if they were in their primes, obviously, I think Oscar would have KO'd Madonna. And you just don't know at this particular stage what you're going to get. And I don't even know what, where they would fight. Would they fight at 154? Would they fight at 160? Would they fight at 168? You just don't know. Um, but to a certain degree, to a certain degree, it'll be interesting. Uh, this fight, see what Tyson versus Jones and Dunn got all these people coming out of retirement. Um, but I think it's an interesting fight because of the levels of fighters they are. Uh, obviously, De La Hoya is a way better fighter than you know Madonna at his best. When they're both in their primes at their best, I think De La Hoya sleeps them. I mean, clips them just hurts them because Madonna's style plays right into De La Hoya. De La Hoya had problem more problems with guys who move and Madonna, you know, has more success with guys who, you know, kind of stand in front of, you know, uh, that he can pressure and, and do things like that. Uh, but because of the age factor and how long Dale Hoy has been out of the ring, like with Tyson, I mean, you can't not get hit in the face for like over 10 years and come back and fight somebody who was got hit in the face like three, four years ago. Uh, the only flip side of that is, is Madonna, um, hasn't been that active. I mean, he's been blowing up in weight. I mean, he, he hasn't been really – there's been talk of him coming back for the last, what, three or four years, and he would get down in weight and then blow back up. So I have to question, is his heart really in it to get back down and wait? And it's one of those fights that I won't believe that Madonna will be fighting De La Hoya at 160 until it happens. Because I've, I, even though De La Hoya is, is pretty much older and been out of the ring – I think De La Hoya is probably more serious about it than Madonna is. You know, we know Oscar is a competitor. It's a competitor. Competitor. Uh, he's known to take fights that you don't, that he probably should not have taken. You know, 
uh, he's a warrior, so you feel like he has to he has to do it. Um, but hopefully, I mean, they don't pull this off though. Um, so I don't have as much of a context for De La Hoya in his prime as you guys do, so I won't add too much to it. But I will say that a Maidana was looking good last time I saw him, and it sounds like he wants to do it the right way in the sense that he wants a tune-up fight and then he wants to fight De La Hoya. He doesn't want to just jump right into it, like kind of like Jones and and Tyson are doing. And with De La Hoya, I have to wonder, and maybe just the timing or maybe, you know, I don't know, but it's around, you know, the rumors and the confirmation of him coming back is around a time where Golden Boy and his own settle with Canelo. So it's um to me, it almost I can't help but wonder is he trying to recoup some of the money that was hypothetically lost from that whatever that settlement was? And I don't I don't know like the figures or the numbers and everything, but I do know that there was two hundred eighty million dollars left on the on the Canelo table. And I don't know where that money went. I don't know if he's trying to recoup it or what. But um, I don't have any additional thoughts on that. Otherwise, you guys pretty much. But, you, but what, what you're saying, you though, that um, one. yeah, that, that's true. And that you, you have to factor that in because with the fact that Canelo left, Golden Boy, the zone, that will be the, the company's biggest source of income, would be a De La Hoya fight. And the other thing that I say is you couldn't have these guys coming back. You couldn't have Tyson and um, – Jones coming back like this. And, and I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm in a text, text change with a lot of different people. And earlier I told some people who I'm in a text chain with because we were supposed to do something. I said, well, just give me time. I got to do this podcast. And so they said, oh, you do a podcast? What type of podcast do you do? So I said, it's exclusively about boxing. And so the first thing that they mentioned, are you going to watch it? Are you going to watch the Tyson versus Jones fight? That's what they but that's what they're interested in. Now, if these if these guys were handling their business, yep. fighting each other, and, you know, that was the norm in boxing, I don't think these things could be happening like that. I think that the, the focus would be on who's the top fighters in these divisions. But they left room open for this type of thing to happen. Yeah, you're not wrong. I was just speaking kind of in the direct context. But, yeah, definitely, I could see where as a whole – Oh, on one hand, it's like the best fighters aren't fighting the best. On another hand, it's kind of like, well, there's still some pretty good fights being made, but they're not really being pushed like that. So you you kind of left with, yeah, all the casuals are going to ask you about no disrespect to any you know casual boxer fans, obviously, but the main thing on the radar right now it is. is the can Tyson I add on to that, Danny? And for one, so, I wasn't really, you know, like trying to answer or directly. My response wasn't towards anything that you were saying. Um, but the other thing that I did want to say was this: is that you know, like I, said, I feel like I'm in a twilight zone right now when it comes to boxing. Um, there used to be a show called Green Acres. And I used to sit up at night to watch it. You could come on late back home. Mm-hmm. So those who don't know, that show, you had a guy, Mr. Douglas and his wife, they moved to this hit town in the South. Mr. Douglas from New York. And um, his wife wanted to move down there. Um, Jaja Gabor's sister. And so when they went down there, it was for Mr. Douglas, it seemed weird because they had stuff like everybody would, 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 would understand what was going on. But Mr. Douglas was looking at everybody like they were crazy because they had like a little talking pig and people would know what the pig was talking about. His name was Arnold. And so Mr. Douglas, like he looking like 
how do you understand the pig? And that was just one incident of the weird stuff that was going on. He didn't recognize any of this stuff. It didn't make sense to him. But they were looking at Mr. Douglas like he was crazy. Like, you don't understand what the pig is saying? And so that's how I feel about boxing right now. It's like you don't mm-hmm. see what's going on right now with guys not fighting each other and they write in the same division and it's okay for them to fight these other opponents, but you are looking at the opponents that they're fighting and you're saying how great they look, but they're not fighting the best guys. And so to me, that's, that's weird. That's like the talking pig. Um, but I'm going to leave it at that. I, I, I can go on and on about that because it, it, it's, it gets frustrating as a boxing fan, you know, right now. Yeah, for sure. And, and speaking of the Twilight Zone, uh, as it is right now with the younger up and coming fighters, uh, a lot of a lot of the talk that we used to see happen through promoters and through press conferences are now happening through through social media. And so Javante Davis and Devin Haney, around the time of both of their fights, most recently this past week, have have had uh, some social media exchanges on Twitter. Uh, for what I saw, it started with uh, Tank sort of laughing at, at Haney's performance and uh, because he didn't get the knockout. Uh, Haney responded with a uh, by posting a still shot of Tank getting rocked with a with a right hand from Gamboa. Uh, Tank responded saying he made more money than both of those fighters combined, called them clowns. Haney responded, I'm getting millions and I'm 21 goofy. All caps. Goofies are all caps. So you know he means business. And and Davis responds, my daughter hits harder than you. And Haney's like, okay, well, let's fight then, fat boy. Uh, I don't know, man. What, what, what do you guys yeah, got on this? I'm going to quote, you know, the realest boxer in the game right now, and that's Mr. Gary Russell. These dudes are bickering over something that's irrelevant. And I'm referring to, I didn't see the fact that what Haney said when he, when he said that, let's fight fat boy. Now, that's the gist of what you guys should be ta- trying to do. You know, until they argue over how quickly they're going to sign those mm-hmm. contracts to get in the ring with each other, I don't want to hear all of this stuff. The, the other stuff is irrelevant. So just imagine this. And again, I'm going to be the old um, grumpy man this episode. Just just imagine, though, all right? So you're talking about Sugar Ray Leonard. Let's just imagine Sugar Ray Leonard, right? And let's say, for instance, in the early 80s, Let's say, for instance, he beat Benitez, right? He had the belt. Imagine him saying, and he was the golden boy. Like, he was the, he could have did anything he wanted to do. Imagine him talking to Tommy Hearns, like, man, I made more money than you. I made more money than your last two fights. As, as, a, as opposed to stepping up the fight. Imagine him having that conversation with Roberto Duran. Like, that seems so childish. And keep in mind that they're, they're around the same age is, is when Sugar Ray was fighting Hearns and Benitez, like they're the same age, and so to, like I say, it just it, it don't make sense. They need to grow up, and more importantly, they need to go ahead and and fight. You know, so that's how I look at it. Yeah, um, I'll I kind of offer a sort of different perspective because my generation kind of around like my college age. That's when Facebook and and, and Twitter became a thing, and so I kind of grew up uh, to an extent on social media from, from that point moving forward. And so this is just kind of what happens on social media. Like even if you're a, a no name, like relatively speaking, like if you're not a boxer, 
you as a regular person, you might get you might have a difference in opinion on something, and you might argue with somebody or whatever. The difference between these guys are that you know they are young, you know what I mean, and so they they're gonna go back and forth, especially when their tweets are visible and they're getting thousands and tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of retweets. So of course you're gonna see it, and of course you can't be the one to to sort of turn on the cheek because it's social media, and and you know you're a prize fighter, and so I, I guess. What I'm trying to say is they're they're doing what they're going to do as 21, 20, however old Tank is, you know, people in their mid-20s. It's really up to, and to whatever extent they can, definitely do it, but it's really up to the promoters at, at the end of this day to, to get it done. So the social media doesn't really mean much outside of that and, and maybe outside of building hype for the fight, but, but you know, to your point, Will, it just it, it just comes come down to right. Are, are and, we going to fight that's or not? The point I was trying to make. Like I understand the social media game. I understand the trolling and all of that type of stuff. I understand it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that's not the issue. The issue is at the end of the day. Let me give you an example. Like we used to, I, I couldn't go. And so when I was coming up, and I told you before that you know I was a big boxer. There's two things that I I was very interested in: boxing and basketball. And I had the conversation with my father about pursuing boxing and he really wasn't for that and basketball is huge in my city and that was another thing that was truly interesting so that's what what I pursued but just at the heart of being a competitor just being in the sport of basketball and I always just thought boxing was the root of like just sports in general because of that competitive nature because like so for instance in basketball we would get on the phone it would be people in the city oh you know so and so he'll kill you you can't beat him Man, where you at? Let's go to the court. You get your file. Let me get my file. Let's go ahead and get it on. Like, so you just looking right. at it from that perspective at the end of the day. I'm not saying, oh, um, man, I got more females than you, or I got more. No, let's go play basketball. You said that you can beat me. I, I, I keep shorts on underneath my whatever clothes I have on. I have on guest jeans or whatever, but I have some shorts on too, and I have some sneakers somewhere real close just in case somebody gets to talking crazy so we can go ahead and handle it. And so I'm just looking at it from that competitive spirit that, man, you can't beat me, you know, but sign a dotted line. Let's go ahead. And get, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to hear that type of talk out of these guys as opposed to well, all of this gibberish. He just made my father smile, man. When he looks at this, he's going to be like, wow, that's my day. <laughs> Back in my day. <laughs> but you know what? One thing you did say interesting, that I'm like, I had to really think about it, which I, I already know, but I had to really, really think about it. Was the those guys Haney, uh, you know Garcia, Tank? They are about the, they're the same age as, as Sugar Ray Leonard and Tommy Hearns when they around the time they fought. Tommy Hearns was like 21, 22 years old when he won his first title. You know, and and, and even though you know Hearns always been you know uh, the soft smoking guy, the soft spoken guy, and 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 Leonard the the the, the flamboyant you know outgoing one. They, we listen to how they even their interviews. They're way more mature than than, than uh, what we're seeing today. Uh, and social media is, is, you know, I'm all for social media. But at the same time, when it comes to guys who, who their job is to get in the ring and fight, and they have a job to, to do, sometimes they gotta turn it, turn turn the phone off. Somebody needs to take their phone away. They should be out somewhere training or doing something. Uh, I think the 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 attention, the reason why they don't have the attention span to stay focused and and, and stay on weight and things of that nature is because of like social media and and 
following these Instagram women around and stuff like that. It's just, it's kind of, it, it's, it's taken away from, from what's really important. I mean, cause at the end of the day, your Lexi won't be on how many women you had or how much money you made. It's on how many, how many titles you won, who you, who would you beat? Who was on your resume at what time? What scalp do you get? So hopefully, you know, Devin Haney, Tank, they should stop, stop talking, just fight. I mean, it's see from the looks of it, I think Devin Haney really do want those fights. Um, with Tank, I think deep down Tank wants those fights too. Also, but I think Tank's people has been kind of keeping away from you know guys like Haney and even like with the Gary Russell. If a guy talk talks to me like Gary Russell been talking to some of these fighters, I'll be running to fight him. I'm like, look, Russell, you gonna pay me? Y'all paying this much money for me to you know come to DC and fight you? I'm gonna go for it. You know, it seems like Gary Russell is really coming at guys hard, and they, and they're kind of like, eh. I don't want to fight Gary Russell. And it's not like he's a nobody or he do, he doesn't bring money. He, he does sell tickets. Uh, a fight with Tank and Russell, it's going to blow DMV out. You know, they, they, they should they should make it. And even with Tevin Farmer, uh, he's another guy that, that a lot of people don't want to fight. And it's just it's interesting, you know. So um, social media and, and boxing, it, I understand the marketing aspect of it, but from a fan's perspective, it don't mix because it's a lot of it, – it, what it is doing is making us believe that some of this stuff is going to happen and it never happens. Like some of these fights are going to happen. They're never going to happen. So turn in the phones and, and go fight. <laughs> that's, that's what they should do in a nutshell. So um, switching gears um, with, with the, the, the lightweight dilemma of Teofimo Lopez, uh, Devin Haney and, and, and Tank Davis, we have another guy who could probably make, you know, 135 or 140. Um, but his name is not being talked about. His name's Mikey Garcia. Um, and those fights are possible. He could get in the ring one day or soon with Teofimo Lopez or Tank Davis. Uh, how you guys seeing, see those fights uh, coming? First, you know, uh, Mikey Garcia against Teofimo Lopez and then Mikey Garcia against Tank Davis, Javante Davis. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna look at this two different ways. Uh, one, well, first and foremost, Mikey Garcia, his statement was that he would be willing to. He has a he has a plan that he has. He really is trying to position himself to get the Pacquiao fight. But if he can't get that fight, he said he's willing to come down and fight Tank or Tiafimo. But he said at 140, he can't make 135 anymore. So I think that that would exclude Tank out of this conversation. But if I'm looking at Mikey Garcia versus both of those guys, even at 140 or 135, which probably would be Tank at 135, and I know Lopez wants to go up to 140 because he's a pretty much a 140-pound fighter who can make 135. So I think however you cut it, Mikey Garcia, to me, would beat both of those guys because I look at Mikey Garcia as being that consummate professional. I think that he has the character – that I think both of those guys, that not that they don't lack the character, I think that he just has more character than those guys in the ring. And he has um, come from a boxing family, and he, he knows the game more than those guys, and he brings a lot of things to the table that would be advantages for him over those guys. Um, but also, if I'm looking at it from this perspective, 
how is Mikey Garcia now? Is he still the same Mikey Garcia? Because one, he's been pretty inactive for the past two years. He's had that Spence, that brutal um, defeat against Spence at 147. And um, like I said, he's been north of 140 for like the past two years. So is he still the same Mikey Garcia? I don't know. At this point, if he drops down to 140, against Lopez, that'll be a much more competitive fight now. I don't I, I wouldn't know. I, I would have to see them fight. I'd have to see what Mikey looks like at 140. I don't think he would take a tune up to fight a Lopez, but you know, so it, it'll be a lot more closer now because I think that he may not be able to do the same things that he was able to do before when he was fighting like Easter and Broner and those guys. That Mikey Garcia would have beat those guys. Um, the other thing that I want to say about Mikey Garcia, I think he wasted and he squandered um, a lot of his prime. He did the same thing as Brooke when he took that step up. And again, I told you, my one of my biggest pet peeves in boxing is the daring to be great. Because if you don't do it, it might take something out of you moving forward after you dare to be great. And so when I looked and I saw that Mikey Garcia... He may have made more because that was a huge pay-per-view event against Spence, but I know that the purse was supposed to be th- $3 million. He was guaranteed $3 million. And when I looked, when he fought Easter, he got $1 million to fight Easter, and then he got $1.5 to fight Broner. I think had he stayed down in the lower weight, he could have made $1.5 against a Lopez. He could have made maybe 2 to $2.5 million against um Loma, you know, like that was a big fight. And so he could have made that money in maybe two fights as opposed to taking a Spence fight that took so much out of them and took a lot of steam out um, of his career. Actually, I don't so even though that was a, a sustained beating he, you know, got by Spence. I did I do think Mikey Garcia, I mean, he didn't look like he lost too much in the fight with uh Jesse Vargas after that, you know. I mean he seemed all right. Um of course that was probably that was at one forty seven. Um, the, the only thing I we worry about is the is the weight uh, making one thirty five. If he had to, I'm not sure, I'm not so sure that he can't make one thirty five because he's not he's not a big guy. He's five foot six, so he's pretty small. He's probably around the same size as Manny Pacquiao. I think it's the the aspect of walking around heavier and having to lose that extra weight that he already put on. Um, I think if he really really try, I think he actually could comfortably make one thirty five. As this is a, you know this is a guy who fought at featherweight pretty much um i i i favor him actually over uh teofimo lopez i think um mikey garcia has even though he's smaller and you know of course he's he's, he's small like lomachenko i think he's a lot thicker and he has more experience with guys bigger than him bigger than teofimo lopez and and guys who can punch hard just like lopez i think uh, he proved that he had he has you know deep both a little bit of defense and uh, a great chin in that Spence fight. So I, I'm not sure if Lopez is going to really trouble him. I mean I think Lopez's best bet is to try to use his length and and try to outbox Mikey Garcia. Um, uh, Tank Davis I think is I think Mikey Garcia is all wrong for someone like uh, Tank Davis. Uh, if I was Tank's people, that's the guy who I would keep him away from at 135 and 140. Um, because I think Mikey Garcia, uh, he's still that he's still that guy. I mean, of course, he had that Spence fight, but he, you know that's 
him moving up to, to fight the big bad wolf. I think at his normal weight, um, I think he's still that same beast. Uh, and, I, and I would still expect certain guys to avoid him. I was just okay, going to say real right, quick, right. though. He said that he, he's not going back to 135, though. So, um, you guys made good points. Um, Lopez is the bigger guy uh, by two inches. They have about the same reach, so that part is negligible. But in a sense that Mikey Garcia is the type of fighter that just does everything right, and in a sense that he's withstood bigger, bigger punchers and bigger fighters before, and just has that experience. Uh, I would give him the edge over over Lopez. I would definitely give him the edge over over Tank. Um, he has pretty much every advantage over him except maybe power. Um, but I mean, I would love to see either of those fights. It would, it would be interesting to just see how they play it out. Again, I apologize for being a grumpy old man on this episode. Yeah, but hey, one thing I am happy about is I hopefully I made your pops proud. Um, is there any anything else you guys want to touch on before we wrap it up? Because I think that we uh, got pretty much all of the current topics out today. Not, nothing. I, I guess I, I would say that, and we talked about this a little bit, or you talked about it a little bit in our in our group chat. But you know, I just appreciate that we all bring like a a different perspective to the same topics. You know what I mean? And so. Um, you know, it's always good to chop like with during y'all. A, uh, <laughs> during a week, I sent out a message, and I just say something like, <laughs> it'll say something like, uh, Bob, Bob Aram says this. <laughs> yeah. you know, going, he's going to argue up and down in those takes, man. I'm like, man. It's all talking boxing, talking boxing love, man. That's what we do. <laughs> Right, but that's but that but that's the thing that you're saying, though. That, no doubt, that no everybody doubt. brings a different perspective. Like you, more you know, currently involved in the game, and you actually in the game right now. You know, sparring and things like that. Vale, you know, is is a little bit younger than me, so it's going to be his perspective is going to be slightly different. Then also where we come from, you know, Bill from Detroit, you being from the Virginia area, me yep. being from Milwaukee, so that's what makes you know that's what how we stir the pot and make our gumbo and make our show work. But on that note, man, um, hopefully everybody have a great Friday. I said Friday. Hopefully you have a great Monday, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed the show. Peace.